0: This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Tim Wilson, thank you so much. I've heard that three times this morning and I could hear it again. Uh, Good morning to all of you. Uh, Good morning to those of you who are watching online and uh, just so thankful that you have joined us today, and I would ask you to go ahead and open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 9. Now, if you've been kind of tracking with us over the past few weeks, uh, last week we studied how the crowd of people around the Sea of Galilee just wanted Jesus to do one more miracle. And this was the day after he had turned five pieces of bread and two small fish, they were probably pickled fish, into an all-you-can-eat buffet for 20,000 people. But, but here they are. Jesus, if you will just do one more miracle. Yeah, I know you did this one yesterday, but one more miracle, and then we'll believe in you. And 2,000 years removed from that situation, the sobering truth is that there's a little bit of that skepticism in you, And in me as well. You know, we think, God, if you would just heal so-and-so, or, you know, you can kind of fill in the blank, if you would just cause this horrible situation to turn around, you've said this, and I've said this, then the community would be in awe, that would tip the scales to where people would flock to you, and we would have a revival that would sweep this town. I've said that, you've said that, probably it wouldn't happen because we're so hard-hearted. You know, during the three-year period Jesus was on earth, do you know how many documented miracles he performed? Right around 40. Right around 40 miracles. I'm sure there were more that didn't get recorded in in the Bible. But even after several dozen miracles, the people were like, well, I just need to see one more miracle. And and then it was, uh, and, and one more, and and one more. And when it comes to miracles, we don't realize this. We take so much for granted, but every day we overlook some of God's greatest miracles. How how about the miracle of God creating a round piece of dirt, large enough for several billion people to live on, and fine-tuning it where it sustains life, and that's in stark contrast to all the other floating pieces of dirt in the universe. That's what he did when he created planet Earth. Yet we're like, oh God, just do something amazing to show your greatness. How about this? How about God creating a 1,000 megapixel camera and putting two of them on the front of your head and connecting them to a million gigahertz computer with enough memory for you to pass down knowledge from generation to generation? That's what he did when he created the human body. Or how about this? Before I can finish this sentence, 50,000 cells in your body will die. But never fear. They will be replaced by new ones. And this will happen without any conscious effort on your part. Amazing. But we're like, oh God, do do one more miracle and I'll believe in you and we'll have an old-fashioned revival and it's like God's got to say, how many miracles do you need to see? Well, our lesson today will focus on another one of those 40 documented miracles of Jesus for the fourth week in a row and really didn't start out this way, but we will let John's gospel anchor our lesson. We're we're following John as he follows Jesus around the country of Israel. They travel north to south, south to north. And and this sounds funny because we don't say it this way here, but because of the terrain of Israel, they go up south and they go down north. Down north from Judea to Galilee, up south from Galilee to Judea. And our lesson today is which is one of the longest gospel narratives of any mir- of the miracles of Jesus because it covers an entire chapter. A lot of miracles will cover one, two, three, four verses. This covers the entire chapter, takes place in Judea, in the city of David. We, of course, know that as the city of Jerusalem. And John writes this, or he possibly, because he was an older man, some scholars suggest that he might have dictated this. John chapter 9, verse 1, reads like this. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, and and they probably more than likely whispered. You know, like you do when you talk about me behind my back. You, You whisper so I don't hear. Or you see someone at Wood's grocery store, and you want to whisper something about them. More than likely, they whispered, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Now, just a reminder, the assumption in the first century as well as way before that, I've just finished working through the the book of Job, and the book of Job was one of the first books that was written, at least that's what scholars feel. So for several thousand years, they believed that there was a cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. So if somebody were suffering, they believed it was because they had sinned. Or if they were born that way, they believed that the parents are the ones that had sinned. A few weeks ago, I told you that if a pregnant Jewish woman went into a pagan temple, they believed the baby was just as guilty as the mom. Because she accompanied the mom, even though she was in the womb, but but if the baby were born with a disability or got sick, they tied that disability or that sickness to either the mom's disobedience or the baby in the womb's disobedience because they both had gone into the pagan temple. Now, we obviously know enough scripture to see how crazy that is. Now, the, the truth is there are times that our behavior does result in suffering. If we drink and drive under the influence and pull out in front of a semi, our behavior will have consequences. If we smoke, all of our lives, there's a higher risk of getting lung cancer and having other health issues. If we fill our bodies full of meth or other drugs, there's a good chance that our bodies will suffer for it. You know, here we see it, people lose their teeth, sometimes fry their brain. All kinds of health issues come out of that lifestyle, So, so our behavior, yes, at times, does bring about suffering, but back when the book of John was written, probably around 50 years or so after Jesus ascended up to the Father, that the feeling was that any disability or any sickness, or as we say today, bad luck, was directly related to their sin or to the sin of their parents. And so as the disciples saw the blind man, they were curious, just like you're curious. You know, you're curious when something bad happens to someone. For example, when someone gets a divorce, what goes through your mind? I know what goes through your mind. Was there a third party involved? You know, did he have an affair? Did, did she have an affair? Or someone gets fired from their job and we want to know what they did. What was so bad that they got canned? And the disciples are the same way. They, they said, Rabbi, this person is blind. And so obviously someone sinned. Was it this man? Was it his parents? And and they were fully expecting Jesus to let them know whose fault it was and what they had done that was wrong. But as Jesus did so much of the time, he threw them a curve. He always kept them off balance. He said, guys, your theology is so messed up. And by the way, 100 years from now, 50 years from now, 25 years from now, or maybe much sooner than that for some of us, five years or even a a year or a few months from now. When we get to heaven, I have a feeling that we are going to find out that we were probably wrong about a lot of things. And and we may find out that that some of the churches down the road that, that we think are wrong theologically, we may find out that they were more right than we are. So, ladies and gentlemen, be prepared to realize how wrong you are. Anyway, Jesus said, your theology is messed up, and here is how he answered their question of who sinned, this man or his parents, in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. And it's almost like he creates a new category. So, the man didn't sin, parents didn't sin, he creates a category that almost sounds a bit insensitive. Here's what he said, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So this man was born with a disability because many times pain and suffering bring out the very best in people and it can reflect the character of Jesus and bring honor and glory to God. That's what Jesus said. The most impressive people to me are not those who live lives that, can we just say wrinkle-free where their kids all turn out perfect, they look beautiful and handsome, and they all marry rock stars, and they all get good jobs, and they make millions, and everybody lives to be 100, and when they die, they just die in their sleep, and there's no suffering. That's wonderful when that happens. But let me tell you what really impresses me. It's when someone has to go through extraordinarily difficult times. Maybe they get an incurable disease. Maybe it's a situation where they have emotional struggles, and listen, and they battle depression. Maybe they lose someone to their in, in their family to a tragic accident, yet their faith never wavers. And if you happen to pay them a visit to encourage them. You say, well, I want to go encourage them. You find that you're the one that leaves encouraged. These are the people I admire so much. Trent, we, we told your daddy goodbye two days ago. Um, and after his stroke a couple of months ago, when just in a matter of a few seconds, it was literally a, a few seconds. I think he was trying to write a check from what I hear just couldn't quite get it done. And, but he went from a picture of health. I mean, there's this man that didn't have an ounce of fat on him. He was a pusher, a go-getter. I wouldn't want to try to keep up with him. A picture of health. In just a few mo- few seconds, <clears throat> he went to being immobile in the intensive care unit fighting for his life not being able to walk not being able to talk not being able to eat but during this so difficult time in his life and i don't know how how he communicated but he somehow communicated these words to his family so powerful you know what he said god is good even in a state of paralysis Randy saw God's goodness. When I see someone like that, I want to serve their God. You know, we all respect people that have done well in life and made millions and a lot of money and power and influence, but what really impresses me more than that is seeing someone that goes through the fire, yet they can sing the words of that great hymn. If you were raised in church, you know this. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And Jesus said to these disciples, pain, suffering, disability, and in this case, blindness, takes place so that we will see the works of God. Well, skipping on down a couple of verses, Jesus does the strangest thing in verse 6. That says, having said this, are you ready for this? He spit on the ground. And before anyone could say, Jesus, that was gross. Or before anyone could say, Jesus, did you forget where we are? We're right close to the temple, and you're not allowed to spit on the ground when you're this close to the temple. He spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Now, I wish we had more details on exactly what happened. I mean, did Jesus say, okay, this is going to be a little bit weird. Uh, I'm going to walk you through it. You know, this past week I went to, uh, to the dentist for, for a crown and a couple of fillings, and you know, the, the dentists, they're, they're, trying to, they're, they're so good to try to ease your fears and communicate, you know, everything they're doing. And they say, you know, Joe, this is going to taste a little bit nasty, and it does. And I, just about every time I ask them, why why can't you get some chocolate f- flavoring into this stuff that you put into my mouth? And it, it is nasty. And then they'll say, you know what, this is going to help deaden things. And then we'll give you a couple of shots to make your jaw feel as big as a bowling ball. And, uh, and then they say, okay... Uh, you're gonna feel a little pinch, a little pressure, and they walk you through everything, and and you know you leave refreshed and feeling good about life, having had a wonderful time in the dentist chair. You're just praising God, don't you? Aren't you? Maybe not. And by the way, my dentist is uh, couldn't be here today, but uh, Dr. Cammie texted me after the uh, eight o'clock service, and she said, "Thanks for being nice to those of us that are dentists," but. Uh, I, I don't know if Jesus talked his way through this and said, okay, I know you can't see, you're blind, but, but you're going to hear a noise, and I'm just going to spit, and, and then I'm going to mix the spit into the dirt that's underneath your feet, then I'm going to put it on your eyes. I don't know how it all went down, but he puts the mud mixed with the saliva on the man's eyes. In verse 7, he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, and this word Siloam means scent. Now, I, I did a little bit of research into the Pool of Siloam this, uh, this past week. And over time, as Jerusalem, Jerusalem was conquered and destroyed, and there were earthquakes, and it became buried under layers of debris, and, and, and it was lost. And, uh, but in 2004, it's super interesting, 16 years ago, a drainage repair crew working on pipe maintenance south of the old city of Jerusalem, they uncovered large stone steps that led to an ancient pool dating from the first century BC. And this pool was fed by Hezekiah's tunnel. And, and if you've been to, uh, to Israel, you've probably seen at least parts of Hezekiah's tunnel. It was built in the eighth century BC to take water to Jerusalem. And, and so even though there are two different pools that they call Pool of Siloam, they feel that this one uncovered in 2004 probably best fits the description and Anyway, Jesus said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And, and notice a couple of things here. Jesus didn't heal him instantaneously. He could have, but he wanted him to do his part. What was his part? Walk to the pool of Siloam, listen, while he was still blind. Which means that Jesus literally asks him to walk by faith and not by sight. So the man went and washed. What happened? He came home seeing. Now, I just want to emphasize that Jesus rarely fit into their expectation box. He didn't always do things the same way. We have at least three different ways Jesus healed blind, healed blind people. One was this account, put mud on the eyes. Another, he touched the eyes. Another, he spoke the words, and he was healed. You know, we're so big into tradition, and and so today we would have probably formed three different denominations. And I've told you before, we might have called them the mudites, the touchites, the speakites, because, you know, we grab something in Scripture and think that it always has to be done that way. But Jesus did not allow traditions to limit him. Verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I'm the man. And they asked the question that you would ask. How then were your eyes opened? Verse 11, he replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes, He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see, and of course, they're curious, where is this man, they asked him, I don't know, he said. Now, under the old covenant, when it appeared that someone had been healed of a disease, here's what you had to do, you had to take them and present them to the religious leaders for verification, kind of like the health department today for covid everything runs through them, and what is it, two o'clock every afternoon, they, they put out a bulletin on their website, and, you know, are there any new cases today, and, and if there are new cases, uh, you know, has there been exposure, where were they, and, and, and all of that information, they don't give the name, and everything runs through them, and so in, in 2,000 years ago, everything had to run through the religious leaders, and so this man supposedly had been healed, received his sight, and so, verse 13, they brought him to the Pharisees. You know, brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind because they had to verify this healing. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. Now, if there were music, the soundtrack would change. Because instead of everyone rejoicing and praising God for a blind man getting his sight, it got really tense. And and their attitude was like, I can't believe Jesus has done this again. He did this two chapters earlier. He performed another healing on the Sabbath. And a couple of weeks ago, I explained that according to the tradition of the elders, you weren't allowed to practice medicine and heal people on the Sabbath. You just had to stay sick until after the Sabbath. But another thing that their traditions did not allow, is, and this is interesting, you couldn't knead things. K-N-E-A-D. Knead, or mix. Which is what Jesus had done. He had taken spit and mud, kneaded it, mixed it together, on the Sabbath. That was a no-no. Well, they continue interrogating him in verse 15. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, which, of course, lets them know he has violated two aspects of the Sabbath. And and I washed, and and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. Why do they say that? He does not keep the Sabbath. Again, Jesus didn't fit into their God box. Which, by the way, we all have a God box. Many of us can't imagine God working any other way besides our way. We, we can't imagine God liking any other type of music besides our music. We can't imagine God belonging to any other political party besides ours. And I've heard some of you say this. I just can't, I just can't fathom people belonging to X party because, you know, because their stance on things, I just don't know how, whatever, I can't. Well, this, this is, this is so interesting, and, uh, you know, when I was studying this this past week, uh, there was talking, I just had to kind of crack up. In fact, one time I went to gym and I said, this is so funny in the word, but, Just like many of you that that attend this church and those of you that are watching online and and you consider yourself part of this this church, you attend the same church, yet you disagree on things. You disagree on face masks, don't you? I don't know, you've probably seen this meme or whatever that's going around on, on Facebook, you know something to the effect of, you know, I'd like to hear opinions on face masks. Could we just have some opinions given on face masks? It's like, oh, my word, that's all we hear about these days. You disagree on face masks, you disagree on the severity of the corona, or today, what are we saying, the rona? Uh, disagree on your political preferences, disagree on music, and you attend the same church, but you Disagree. Which is okay. Well, these people here that went to the same temple that we're reading about, the same synagogue, they also disagreed with each other. Verse 16, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. So they were divided. So they questioned the former blind man, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened, and listen to what his opinion was. He's a prophet. So that's what I think. He's a prophet. Well, and again, this is interesting. Even back then, there were people with a conspiracy theory. Verse 18 The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. So they were saying, Oh, this whole thing is just made up. It's a hoax. It's a ploy. It's political. He never really was blind until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is, is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? And, and they answered in verse 20, we know he's our son, the parents answered. We know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or, or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He's of age. In other words, he's old enough to testify in court, is what they were referring to. He will speak for himself. And they basically said, we plead the fifth. Why didn't they want to say anything? Verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of church, out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Well, they're still not done with this guy. Verse 24, a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man, meaning Jesus, is a sinner. They were saying, okay, we'll accept the fact that you were blind because your parents verified that. But this Jesus man had nothing to do with it because this man is a sinner. Why? Because he violated in their their minds the Sabbath. And sinners could certainly not perform miracles like this. Well, this man replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. In other words, I don't understand everything. Here's what he was saying. This this is, you need to catch this. I don't have to understand everything to believe something. I don't understand. I don't know about this man. And you know, the good news is that when it comes to following Jesus, you don't have to understand everything to believe. Because isn't it true that you and I don't hold to this standard in any other areas of life? I mean, example, do you believe in love? Yeah. Can you explain love? I mean, can you explain how you fall in love? Here's this person that is so opposite, so different than you are. And then one day you realize... You're paying more attention to that girl or boy than, than others, and, and your heart starts to beat faster when they come close to you. And and uh, remember when you were flirting as a young person, and and you you acted like an idiot just to get their attention. And um, do you understand how all of that came about with your even without your even trying? You don't understand love, but you still believe in it, don't you? You know, here's another crazy example. (laughs) Yeah, this is really crazy. Do you believe in spider webs? Of course you do. Um, Yesterday, I took my two grandkids to my farm, and I've got some trails that i kind of blaze through through the timber and so we got the four-wheeler and i was just taking them through those trails and uh this is the season where you know these spiders are building webs all across the trails and you just by the end of it man our faces were were just full of spider webs and, and even that night i was still trying to pick out webs from my from my hair what little i have left and it, the thing is it just blended in with my hair there but uh Do you understand how they can weave or spin a web so quickly? No. But you know a spider web is real, and you freak out every time you walk into a spider web. Why is it that when it comes to spiritual things, we say, well, I've got to understand it before I believe it, even though you don't hold yourself to that standard in any other area? Well, by now, this man is getting fed up with this circus act with the religious leaders. And and the exchange goes on, actually, for several more verses. But let me just kind of wrap up our scripture reading with this verse. In verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. In other words, I didn't study theology. But then here is one of the most powerful phrases in all of the Bible. And I want to just spend the rest of our time talking about that. One thing I do know, I was blind but now I see. I think we've heard that so many times that we rush over that phrase. I was blind, but now I see. There's a story in history that we've all heard multiple times, but, you know, some stories are so good they just bear repeating and you, you tell your stories over and over because they're good stories. At least some of them are. But in 1725, a little baby was born in London. They gave him the name of John Newton. You know where I'm going. At the age of 18, he was forced into serving in the British Navy. It didn't go well. He was pretty rebellious. So one day he attempted to desert the Navy, and he was caught. And at this time, they had no problem giving out corporal punishment. He was beaten. He was given eight dozen lashes, 96 lashes, and... And that so angered him, he contemplated murdering the captain, and then he was going to commit suicide and jump overboard. Well, before he could carry this out, he was transferred to another ship. It was a slave trading ship. But the captain said that Newton was the most foul-mouthed and offensive person he had ever encountered in the entire slave trade, to the point he even invented new obscenities, You know, once in a while we come across people that try to put all these words together and they're swearing and all of that, and that's the way Newton was. His abrasiveness led the captain to give Newton to a slave dealer named Amos Clough, who then gave Newton away as a slave, where he remained abused and in captivity until his rescue a couple of years later. On his return voyage back to England, Newton, in the midst of a storm that threatened to sink the ship, said a prayer of desperation, cried out to God for mercy, said, God, have mercy on me. God did show him mercy and spared him. And even though he did not turn his life around at that time, he didn't abandon the slave trade in which he had become involved. Yet the experience of being spared made him think, and over the next six years, and it took six years, but the Holy Spirit was faithful To just convict him and convict him. And finally, after six years, he committed his life to following Jesus. And something that's interesting, John Newton became friends with William Wilberforce, another former slave trader. And movies have been made about Wilberforce. But together, Newton and Wilberforce partnered to try to abolish the slave trade in England. But here's what I want to get to. In 1772, before a prayer service at his church, John Newton wrote a poem to read at the service. It was entitled Amazing Grace. Now, this poem didn't gain much traction for 50 years until William Walker, an American composer, found this poem, and he put the words to a traditional tune that was called, here's... The name of the tune, New Britain, the tune that today we know as Amazing Grace. Now, a few other songs have appeared in more settings than this song. It's it's captured the hearts of princes and paupers. It's, It's appeared in churches like this, to funeral homes, to stadiums. It's been sung by saints, it's been sung by sinners. In fact, in our part of the world, you would have trouble finding anyone of age in Cedar County, Vernon County, St. Clair County, you would have trouble finding anyone that has not heard of this great hymn. Why? Why has this song captured us? I think one of the reasons is because the words that this blind man said 2,000 years ago, I was blind, but now I see, those words resonate with us. The simplicity of these words, they speak to us. Because these words tell a story of redemption. They echo a truth that gives us hope. They, they take us from darkness to light, from confusion to clarity, from death to life. And here's the incredible thing for many of you, this, this is your story. You may not be able to explain a lot about what you believe, but you do know that there was a season in your life when you hit a wall and And you were at the end of your rope and maybe you were controlled by an addiction that wouldn't release its grip on you. Maybe you were in a season of loneliness after a bitter divorce or after the death of a loved one. Maybe you were suicidal. Maybe you were cutting yourself from the emotional pain in your life. But as you came to the end of your emotional and physical resources, you cried out to God. And even though you can't fully explain what happened, yet you know that as you put your trust in Christ, something changed within you, and all of a sudden you realized you could see and as a country, as we go through what is what I, what I believe one of the darkest seasons in recent history, don't forget the words of this blind man. Don't forget the words of this psalm because I think they will help bring clarity and help bring us back to what really matters. You know, as we get involved in, in, in debating everything about this and, well, why didn't they do this? And why don't we do this? And, and face masks and, and all of that, uh, all of those things that we debate today and, and our eyes have gotten off of Jesus. But I think as we come back to the words of what this blind man said 2,000 years ago, help us bring us back to what really matters because there was a spiritual blindness in all of us but thank God as Tim sang earlier he extended his grace to us he made provision so that we could receive our sight our spiritual sight I'm almost finished but I I couldn't end this lesson without reading the verses that close out this account and I skipped about 10 verses here but You know, as they continued interrogating this man, they finally threw him out of church. They threw him out of the synagogue because he didn't fit into their mold. And look what Jesus did in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And and this is so incredible. This speaks to me. Listen. And when he found him, when Jesus found him, do you know what that says to me? It says that when we feel we've been thrown out, when, when we feel that no one cares, when we feel that... We think we're alone and that we don't belong. Jesus comes to us. He finds us. He looks for us. And he said to this man, "Do you believe in the Son of Man?" And the man said, "Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him." And Jesus said, "You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you." Then the man said Lord I believe and here is the phrase that I want you to camp on this week and he worshiped him even after all of your sin even after all the times you've messed up even after all the times you strayed away from God even after all the times I strayed away from God even after all those times when we feel we are misfits we don't belong we're always on the outside looking in catch this jesus comes looking for you and when that happens the only reasonable response is what this man did he worshiped him so this morning we're not going to sing any but could i just have all of you stand and for just a few seconds here as we listen to the music could you just worship the lord and Just thank him for his grace, for his mercy that endures forever, for his faithfulness. Could you just worship the Lord? He's so good. God is so good. Just worship the Lord right now. Thank you, God, for your grace. Lord, even though there was a blindness, thank you that spiritually we can now see. Lord. Maybe there's someone here this morning that has yet to place your trust in this Jesus. Maybe you want to do that. Could I just invite you to pray and say, God, here I come. I don't understand a lot, but I do believe and I want to serve you. As we pray our closing prayer, would you just let Jesus know that? And he will come and he will forgive you and he will give you sight. Father, I want to thank you for just the goodness of God. Lord, I want to thank you for being so faithful to us when we were sinners. You died for us. Lord, for all those times we've messed up, we want to ask for forgiveness. Lord, I want to thank you for giving us sight. Father, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, anybody that is still blind spiritually, I pray that today would be the day that they would just look to you and Father, that you would just touch their eyes, their spiritual blindness that they could see and that they could have life and have it more abundantly as your word says. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing account that you put in your word for us to just learn from this week. We want to worship you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This week is the week to worship him. Would you do that? Just worship him. Thank you for coming. You're dismissed.